Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. We just finished our warm-up vocal exercises, <laughs> and now we're ready to talk about the scriptures. This is the Word on the Hill, and I'm Father Peter Buss. And I am Scott Powell. We are the Lanky Guys. We're known as the Lanky Guys. We're known as the Lanky Guys. Oh, man, my lank has been so reduced. <laughs> but, of course, I have like six Kit Kats. Like, the men formerly known as the Lanky Guys. Yeah, well, today um, is the day that we're recording, <clears throat> not the day that you're listening to this. No, is the, well, um, no, yeah, feast yes. day of uh, John Paul II. John Paul, John Paul II, the Great. our boy. Whoop whoop! He's the best. You know that, uh, dude. He really is. And what's happened is that um, the Lanky Guys is actually an expression of John Paul II. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell, Tell me more. more. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. Um, it's the wrong. Thing. Well, because uh, he this is, Denver was going to be called. It's called the ground zero of the new evangelization. Oh, by him. Yeah, and so that's what that's we're doing, true. man. We're that's we're it. new methods, zeal, and ardor. Ardor, we have them all, dude. We our methodology. What what? It's definitely new. It's definitely new. Different. You, I think Deacon Marty uh, commented on it this Sunday by Deacon saying Deacon Marty is the best. He's a he good is. man. He gave a good homily this Sunday. Deacon Marty and Deacon Marty, I want to give on behalf of Deacon Marty a shout out to Jesus, who Whoa. is our Lord and Savior, Whoa. who this obviously is all based on. <laughs> In uh, inspired by Deacon Marty. So Deacon Marty, you said you were going to listen. There it is. Yeah, for you. and uh, he said once you get past the silliness, it's a great podcast. So, <laughs> so I <laughs> something refused, like something like that. I refuse to be silly for the rest of this time, though. Yeah, oh, really? No, this is going to be all. a very dull broadcast. That was actually, a dull broadcast. A podcast. This is dull broadcast. Welcome to the <laughs> dull broadcast with the Lanka guys. Here it is. Um, so there's that, and so then, there's that. <laughs> um. Yeah, it is the thirtieth Sunday in ordinary time. Did you know that? As in, well, it, it will be. You're eating on mic again. Can you hear that? Can I hear that? <laughs> it's no. Kit Kats, dude. Kit Kats don't make any noise. No, I wish I could have a Kit Kat. It's the worst. So it's the thirtieth Sunday of ordinary time. Break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. bar. And on the thirtieth Sunday of ordinary time, we are looking at our first reading, which comes from the book of Exodus. Well, well, oh, guess on, what? Hold on, hold on, hold on. What? Hold on. I just, have something really dude. profound to say. Okay, then hit me. No, what? Um, it's also the eleven martyrs of Almeria, Spain. Oh, oh. Do we know all of them, or is it one of those like Saint So and So and companions? I've never actually even heard of the eleven martyrs of Almeria. No, Spain. I haven't either. I mean, if I ever become canonized, I'm going to be categorized without my name. It's going to be like Father Peter Musset and Companion (laughs) or something. Dude, if I lead, I. Or the Seven Martyrs of St. Thomas Aquinas or something. If I lead some sort of martyrdom campaign, you know it's a work of God because I am am like Lambert the Sheepish Lion, dude. Who the heck is Lambert the Sheepish Lion? Lambert the Sheepish Lion. Lambert. The sheepish lion. Do <laughs> you not remember Lambert? No, dude? no, ain't idea nobody, ain't nobody know Lambert. No, if you guys know Lambert, please tell us. Yeah, you can. I po- don't know. It. Post it on her Facebook page. Post it on book face. Well, good. So, you eleven uh, martyrs, please pray for us. Yes, 
And guess what book we're not reading for the first reading this week? Dude, hold on. Uh, let me let me just think about this for a second. Isaiah. No, and you, you, Mr. Father, who said last week that we only read Isaiah. We don't read anything but Isaiah in the first <laughs> readings this liturgical year. Blah, 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 blah. It's only Isaiah. Isaiah, but, 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 Isaiah, Isaiah. And I said, no, 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 Father. I bet next week we'll have something different. And lo and behold, Exodus. Movement Exodus. of the people. Movement of the people. All right, so we're in Exodus chapter 22, verses 20 through 26. Followed by Psalm 18, <laughs> 2 to 3, 3 to 4, 47, 51. <laughs> that There's is a, a big jump. <laughs> that really is. Holy mackerel, that's a jump. <laughs> this comes from verse 2, the uh, responsory. Wow. The responsicle? The responsicle. Wait, what is it called? <laughs> the versicle. <laughs> the ver- <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, our second reading uh, comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, C. That's getting really nitpicky. It <laughs> really is nitpicky. Uh, at that very, part. The third part of the verse, uh, all the way to 10. And then we have the gospel from Matthew 22, 34 to 40, which, funny, I mentioned a, a segment of it. I mentioned a segment a, a, about, I said, on these, uh, everything hangs. And and oh, yeah. uh, and Father Brady was like, oh, you mean Matthew 22? Like, dude, the dude had it, like, right off the bat. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, wow. he was he actually he's, was on the verse. I was like, dude, Father Brady is a baller. He really is. And he's a holy, he's, oh, man. He's this holy guy with absolutely no pretense. Which is just, just the worst. I wish I was like. <laughs> I wish I was more like Father Brady. Yeah, totally no pretense. But I'm not. In him there is no guile. In him there is no guile. I want to put this in context. So Exodus okay. 22. Uh, this is a really important moment in the book. It's Exodus 20. Let's see, 21. Oh, is it our gospel? Isn't it Matthew 22 and Exodus 22? Oh my gosh. I did not even put those together. Oh, and if you add Psalm 18 with 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, 18, <laughs> 19, 20, 20, 22, 3. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's no way to get there. There's no way to get there. Okay, so talk oh, to me about 22, yo. All right. Um, Exodus chapters 21 through 23 contain this part of Exodus that I think most people either ignore completely or just don't know exist. Or, it's really or, important. or they actually revolutionize against it because they're like, oh, let me tell you about the laws that I learned about in the Bible. Uh, well, no. Is that what they would bring up? I think they'd bring up like Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Yeah, there's some pretty, mo- there's some extreme ones, but I mean like... Not among these, though. Because I mean like a little bit earlier, even in the chapter 22, you have like... If you take a woman and then you do not marry her, then you still have to pay her father and like the dowry. Yeah, there's some like there's some intense stuff going on in this chapter. And things get weird. Things get real. I mean, I, like it's very particular about the nature of things. I want to back up a second, though. Back it up. Back it up. So just to put this in context, Exodus 22, what's going on? Well, in Exodus, let's see, what is it? Chapter 14 or 15, they when do they? Yeah. In chapter 14, they leave Egypt, right? So they have that you got the just to put this all in context because we all know kind of the Exodus story, right? Charlton Heston, you know, let my people go. Yeah. Um. So they are freed in chapter fourteen. They cross the Red Sea. Crossing the Red Sea. Remember, they sing that song in chapter fifteen, the hymn of Miriam, as they're crossing the Red Sea. Then they get to the other side. Uh, they get the they get the uh, what do you call it? The um, yeah. the manna from heaven, right? The water from the rock. That oh, whole man. thing. Uh. Oh man. Uh. And then in chapter nineteen, they finally get to Mount Sinai. So it's Sinai where they received the Ten Commandments. So here's what happens, though. This is this is really interesting. I just want to t- touch on chapter 20 because I think it's it's one of the most important points in this story, in this part of the story. Okay. So it's in 20 that God actually gives the Ten Commandments. But what most people don't realize is that God actually speaks the Ten Commandments 
to each of the Israelite people individually. Oh. So in chapter 20... I I was going to say, rather than you say realize, what most people don't recognize. Recognize. You better recognize. (laughs) You better recognize. But check this out. So... It says, God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, grammatically, in the original Hebrew, the you for all of these Ten Commandments is yes. the first, I'm sorry, the second person singular. Oh. So when God speaks these commandments from the clouds of thunder and lightning in the heavens on top of the mountain, thunder. he's saying, literally, you, Peter Musset, shall not bear false witness. You, Scott Powell, should not steal and all these things. So literally, grammatically, they're all hearing it in the second person singular. They're hearing it, you individually should not do these things. And after God finishes, it's really interesting because I always wondered why it's Moses that goes up and gets all these. Why, you know, how did Moses become this kind of intermediary? Why doesn't God just speak right to the people? Well, God does speak to the people. He tells them all the Ten Commandments. But then in chapter 20, verse 18, listen to what it says. It says, now when all the people perceived the thunder and the, and the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were all afraid and they trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, hey, Moses, buddy, you speak to us and we'll hear, but let not God speak to us lest we will die. Yeah. We don't want God talking to us anymore. It freaks us out when God speaks. So you go up in the mountain and you get us the stuff and you bring it back down. Yeah. But it's really interesting because of the people already, even before you know the whole golden calf thing, that hasn't happened yet. But already now you get this sense of hardness of heart on the part of the people, right? They're hardened. They're, they hear God's voice. What, what's that psalm? If today you hear God's voice, harden not, not your, your hearts. hearts. They hear God's voice on that day and they harden their hearts. They're willing, to, they're willing to, to sort of take heed to some of the things he's saying, but they don't want to hear God's voice because it's too much. It's too powerful. It's too terrifying. So they say, Moses, no, we want you to go get this stuff. So because of that, this really profound moment, Moses goes up and he receives the Ten Commandments. And right after the Ten Commandments, you get this sort of litany of other laws and regulations. The covenant itself of the Ten Commandments won't be um, kind of finalized until chapter 24, which, you know, commentators look at this and they're like, well, well, there's this one. So one of my favorite books is a book called Bound for Freedom. Have you read this before? No. no oh, my I, gosh. It's fantastic. I, I looked at it and it kind of looked like um, the... Um Dungeons and Dragons uh, second edition <laughs> cover with the font, and I was like, I was like, dude, is he reading Dungeons and Dragons for our I, podcast? Yeah, it's great. It's yeah, the best. Yeah. No, I'm not. Okay. Um, no, uh, it's a uh, yeah, it's a it's a book called Bound for Freedom. It's by a guy named Joran Larson. Joran. Joran, who lives, he's Swedish, and he lives in Jerusalem. Teaches at Hebrew University, I believe. Uh, but he's a holy guy, man. He's We brought him out to Denver back when I, I worked at uh, the biblical school. And he's a holy guy. He's a Lutheran, but I think he's one of those Lutherans. He might become Catholic one of these days. But it's this book. He goes through all the traditions of the book of Exodus from a Jewish point of view, puts them into their Christian context, from their Hebrew concepts, brings the rabbis in. And it, it's just awesome. That it, sounds like a great book. It's so good. He's not Catholic. So, you know, there's a couple of things I take with a, with a grain of salt. But... It's fantastic. But he points out that, you know, um, because the that chapters 21 through 23 are, are often called the Book of the Covenant, um, uh, when the covenant is kind of ratified with Moses in chapter 24, it's often been seen that, look, all of these ordinances that come along with the Ten Commandments about how we're to treat one another, how we're to live our lives, how we're to... Um, treat the poor, you know, our fellow human beings. It's all part of that. And it's really held on par in a lot of traditions with the Ten Commandments. 
they're part and parcel to each other. It's kind of a little commentary on how you were to live the Ten Commandments. And really what we're getting here, so Israel's just been released from slavery in Egypt. They're about to enter the Promised Land, or at least they they were about to enter until they fell to sin again, and then they had to wander for 40 years. Yeah. But really God is saying, okay, as you go into this new land, here's what you should look like as a new people. Now that you're free, now that you're going to become a, a great nation, a kingdom, which is what I want to do for you, you ought to have a certain way of life. You ought to look different than the rest of the nations around you. And so this is how you ought to live. And so chapter 22 brings us into this particular set of, um, I don't know, uh, I don't want to say stipula- yeah, stipulations, I guess is a good thing to say, but it says this. Elucidations. Oh, elucidations. It says, you shall not molest or oppress an alien, for you were once aliens yourself in the land of Egypt. You shall not wrong any widow or orphan. Uh, if ever you wrong them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. My wrath will flare up. And, and I will kill you with a sword. With a sword. I'm like, oh, that's raw, man. And your wives will be widows and your children orphans. <laughs> that's a pretty big deal. But but I want, I want you to take what God is actually saying here. It's not just God saying, okay, if you don't do this, I'm going to get really ticked off and I'm going to send fire to destroy you. Yeah, it's like, it's like dude, I'm going I'm to come up in here and I'm going to get my boys and we're going to take care of you. Oh, seriously. But here's what's going on, though. Where are they? They've just been freed from Egypt, from their slavery. They were oppressed. They were the alien. They were the strangers. They were the orphan. God, because uh, he is a loving father, has just freed them. He has made them free. has made them their, his sons and daughters. He has given them a new identity. He has cared for the orphan. He has cared for the widow. He has cared for those who were oppressed. And he says, if you cannot do that, if you cannot do to the people around you what I have just done unto you, then you might not understand exactly what it is I've just done. Because what I've just done for you guys is profound, and it shapes everything. And if you can grasp what I've just given you, then surely you can do it to one another. And it's interesting, the way the language actually works here, it says if you don't do what I... uh, So, I, I mean... Uh, let's see where it says, I, I will hear their cry, it says. Um, the word for, it, it's the Hebrew term for outcry, which is sedakah, which is a very, it's an often repeated term in Hebrew in the Hebrew Bible whenever there is people who are oppressed. So the Israelites, when they were oppressed by the Egyptians, yeah. it says that God heard their sedakah, their outcry. It heard their cries. And when God heard the cries of his people Israel, what did he do? He told Pharaoh to set his people go. Pharaoh said no. He oppressed the um, alien and the stranger even more. What did God do? God punished him. So God is basically saying, hey, if I hear this again, and if you do not listen to the outcry, the sedekah of the people who you interact with, I will treat you just like I treated Pharaoh. Why do you think you're any better? Why do you think that you should be treated differently than Pharaoh did when he didn't listen to your outcry? Does that make sense? But it all needs to be taken within the context of What's happening? Yeah, which I I I, don't know, I think it's actually profound if you see it that way. Uh, the Lord hears the cry of the poor, but be the Lord. Okay. If you lend money to one of your poor neighbors among my people, you shall not act like an extortioner toward him nope. by demanding interest from him. Uh-uh. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you shall return it before sunset. Return it uh, for this. Uh, okay, uh, first of all, um. Not lending money at interest is this big deal. I mean, Usury, yeah. What's going on? But I mean, there's nowhere in the ancient world, there's nowhere even in the, the 
sort of pre-modern world that you can find someone loaning someone without interest being charged. Except that, for with family. Except for with family. That's ooh, wow, that's a really good insight. Dude, you don't, I mean, dude, you do not charge interest to your sons or your daughters, or your brothers, or your sisters. It'd be, a, it'd be an offense. And so it's actually, it's, I mean, it, it's always been the case that you would, you would do that. I mean, I, I, that was just an insight as we were talking. No, I think that I, I didn't actually think about it. I mean, I was thinking about the fact that, okay, this is so common. Of course, everyone does this. One of the things Israel is being told is you are to be different than the rest of the nations. You were to be set apart. You are not, it's not that it's wrong to charge interest necessarily in and of itself, right? Yeah. You're saying you're to be different. And I think your insight is huge because you are to see that you are an elder brother to these people. Yes. Not only to the people among you, but to also to the other nations. You are the elder brother. So you are to act like family. You don't charge family, or you shouldn't charge family interest on a loan. That doesn't make sense. That's how you are to be with everyone around you, you were to be different than everyone else. Well, because it's it's all about the covenant. I mean, the, yeah. the, that's the covenant is about establishing family. So, the Lord is saying, "Yes, okay, I am superior. I have this superior reality going on, but yet I still want to covenant with you, and mm. you with these other nations. I still I want you to learn." what I'm doing by actually allowing yourself to covenant with other nations and draw them into the family of God, draw them into the covenant that I've established, because otherwise I'm going to kill you with the sword and your wives will be widows and your children orphans. It's definitely rough. Which is like, dude, talk about a good threat, though. I mean, like... Yeah. That that really catches you. I mean, like... (laughs) It catches your attention. Like, like if you want to understand what, like, the attachments that we have... That are above everything else. It's to the spouses and children. That is the most intense. So he's like, he's like, man, I will. Ca-. He's like, if you're not going to pay attention, I'm going to catch you where you're most afraid. Yes, that's true. the the uh, The detail that's used in describing the punishment for that. Yeah. I mean the the power of that imagery. Yeah. See, this is the thing. People oftentimes read the Old Testament and they see the big, mean, angry, wrathful God. They don't, because it's so vivid, it's so explicit in the text, but we miss the other things that are vivid and explicit. So look at the next, right after we talk about the usury, the interest, he says, if you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you shall return it to him before sunset. Okay, well, why before sunset? That's a very specific time. Well, because this cloak of his may be the only covering he has for his body. What else does he have to sleep in? Here is God who's so merciful, he actually cares about people's pajamas for the night. Like, that, that's an insight from Joran Larson, but I mean, you want an insight into God's mercy. Yeah. God's really worked up because someone might ha- not have warm pajamas to sleep in on a particular night because you lent the cloak or something. I mean, Be- because that's you, because so profoundly— you're, you're so harsh, yeah. Right, but it's so profoundly powerful an image, really. Yes. So why is God going to punish you so severely for these things? Because he cares so deeply that his people be cared for, that they have warmth. And care and all these different things. Um, you know, this this whole thing at the very beginning of this passage of uh, pressing an alien or a widow. Actually, you know what? Let's hold on to that until we get to the gospel. Okay. So th- that's that's the setup. So that's the first reading. That's what sets us up for everything. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have an insight today. Oh, good. And, I love your and insights. I lo- I love you already the- had an insight. The family, the, the interest with the family. I never Man, thought Man, that was, that was a free gift on I that one. didn't even think about it. But we, have, we got some other stuff going on. So let's let's sum it up, man. The, what's, okay. what's our versicle and our responsory? Oh, boy. Uh, Psalm 18 says, I love you, Lord, with my strength. I love you with my strength. Oh, Lord, my rock, my, my fortress, my deliverer, uh, my shield, my rock of refuge, all this stuff. Um. 
If you read Samuel, Second uh, Samuel chapter twenty-two, yeah, there's a near identical um, uh, passage to Psalm eighteen, um, and the 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 context of Samuel, Second Samuel twenty-two, yeah, is when David was finally freed from King Saul, who was chasing him and persecuting him. Remember, oh, it's when yeah. he finally gets deliverance. Oh, now think that's about, pretty exultant. I mean, like, there's a lot of relief that comes with that. It's a huge relief. I love you, Lord, my strength. You are my deliverer. You're my refuge. Because there was this king who sought to destroy me. He wanted to kill me, this powerful man who was over me. Now, here's the irony of, I think, the way the church has organized these readings. Here's this psalm, which has the greatest king in Israel's history, David, who is speaking to the fact that he was essentially a stranger who was oppressed, and now God has delivered him. That's where, so what we're getting actually, I think, in all of the rest of the readings are the flip side of what we get in the first reading. The first reading is saying, hey, Israel, do not oppress the alien or the widow or the stranger or those who are lower than you, because if you do, there's punishment. And in every one of the rest of the readings, Israel herself is portrayed as the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the alien Mm. who needs deliverance from the God who cares about their pajamas. Mm. Does yeah. that make sense? Yes, it does. I thought that was kind of profound, though, if you kind of read all these in. Because I was trying to think of what Psalm 18 has to do with anything. And it's about a very powerful, profound, holy Israelite king who is oppressed by another powerful, um, oppressive Israelite king. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that interesting? It is. So that's why I take from the from the the psalm. That's it's the response of God. It's the response of God's God's people when he does for them what he warns he will do in the first reading. Which brings us to To the Thessalonica. Thessaloniki. Thessaloniki. Um, Dude, I I just have to say, man, I read this one, I studied, and I was like, I don't even know how this mug fits. I just don't even, I just don't see. Well, I have a thought. I, I did that too, and I read it a number of times early this morning. And I have a thought... Sorry, let me pull out my Bible. Hey, can you talk for a sec? Say something insightful. <laughs> Sorry, I just need to open up to the right page. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. I don't really know how to say things insightful. I'm sorry. I plan to put you on the spot. Okay. First Thessalonians 1, uh, what is it, verse 5? I'm just curious what the first part of verse 5 is. It says, For our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to, you, to be among you for our sake. Oh, because it's the continuation of a of a sentence and you became imitators of us Us. and of the Lord receiving the word. What in great affliction, great affliction. What does that mean? In other words, being oppressed as the alien, the widow, the the stranger. So be imitators of us and of the Lord. Well, what does it mean to imitate Paul and the people around Paul? It means to actually make yourself or allow yourself to be the stranger, the poor, the meek, The the humble, the shipwrecked, right? Yeah. The ones, and and why? I mean, why is that important? Just well, so we can look poor for poor. Sake. No, it's so that we can understand our need for what the psalm says. That we reach out to the Lord who is our strength. Yeah. Because the first reading explains to us that look, it's not about the wrath. It's not about the fact that God wants to make your wives widows and your children orphans and how mad He's going to get. That's really not the the point of emphasis in the first reading. The point of emphasis is the God who is going to care for those who are oppressed, who are poor, who are downtrodden, even if the world doesn't care about them, even if no one from our society reaches out to help them, the Lord himself will do it. You know that the whole Torah, so the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, yeah. do you know the entire Pentateuch is framed around God performing two corporal works of mercy? 
No. Do you know the Corporal Works of Mercy framed the entirety of the Pentateuch? No. So the first thing, what, is, what do we see in the first thing in Genesis, right? Adam and Eve fall to sin. When Adam and Eve fall to sin, they realize that they're naked. And what does God do in response? Clothes them. He clothes the naked. At the very, very end of the Pentateuch, at the death of Moses, do you know who buries Moses? No. It's the only person who God actually buries. God, it says in Deuteronomy, actually buries Moses himself. So he buries the dead. So the whole of the Pentateuch is framed around this Hebrew concept of uh, gemilut chesed, right? Acts of loving kindness, where we get the whole concept of works of mercy or the corporal works of mercy from. So it's not that God is being shown as this God who's, who's going to be really ticked off and mad and angry and punishing if you don't do this. He's rather being shown as the God who, hey, if you don't care for the poor and the oppressed and the widow and the orphan and the stranger, God himself will do it. I think the, the perfect imagery of that story is... Uh, the story of Hagar. Remember in the story of Abraham when Abraham makes that really bad move and he says, well, God wants us to have kids. Surely my wife's not going to produce any kids because she's super old and that's not going to work out. So I'm going to go to my maidservant or my wife's maidservant, this Egyptian girl, Hagar. And he, she has this child, Ishmael. And eventually, remember, Sarah gets kind of ticked off and there's a bad family dynamic. Never commit adultery with the person living in your house. It just it gets awkward, right? Yes. So he kicks her out, right? And she's cast out into the wilderness. And remember who goes to take care of her? No. It's God himself. He goes himself to take care of Hagar and her baby Ishmael. Oh. And she then, for the rest of the biblical story, represents the stranger, the orphan, the widow, the alien, the oppressed, and in that story, it's God himself who goes out and speaks to her and cares for her and her child, this little child Ishmael, and is the one who reaches out even when God's own people won't do it. So what the Bible wants us to see is that God himself cares so much about the oppressed. And that's us too, that he is all. So what is Paul getting at? He's saying, be like us, be imitators us, which, which means be people who are so small and so emptied of yourself and so meek and humbled that you have no choice but to reach out to God who is your only strength. Be like that. So be like the people that God is explaining that he's going to help from the first reading. Be those kinds of people. Oh, Because that's yeah. what Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy and all those guys were. And then he goes on, we, you become, so that you become, if you do that, you can become a model for all the believers in Macedonia, of which Thessaloniki is the capital city, and Achaia, the region. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Acadia, but in every place God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves openly declare about us what sort of reception we had among you, uh, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait his sons from heaven to whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivered us from the coming wrath. So all of this, the only context that makes sense is that the imitators of us means humbling ourselves so that it's only God who can take care of us. And that we, we become the kind of people that have to rely on God because we've emptied ourselves of anything that is self-sustaining. Yeah. Does that make sense? Humble that's, thyself that's how I, in the side of the Lord. Humble thyself in the side of the Lord. And he, and he shall, shall lift you up. I can hear people's teeth grating. <laughs> They're like. Their iPods, <laughs> iPhones. Does anyone have iPods anymore? Does Apple even make iPods? Probably no, not. probably not. I don't know. Who cares? Does that make sense, though? That's how I made sense of the second reading, because I read it a bunch of times. I was like, I don't see how this fits. No, I mean, I, as, I, as I'm as i watching, I mean, absolutely, you have to become 
you in in a certain sense, all of these readings are actually pointing us directly towards becoming strangers and sojourners. Yeah, and 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 actually recognizing that our citizenship is not on this earth, but in heaven. And that you say citizenship, citizenship. <laughs> I <laughs> I did say that. That's okay. That's okay. Um, I love you anyway. I hey, that's good. I love you kind of because of it. And but that's actually where like that's the thrust of all of these. Like that we are both uh, we are simultaneously the first fruits and the the firstborn, the adopted yeah. of the Lord. But yet at the same time, we ourselves um, have to recognize this position and be both that's actually what meekness is is recognizing yes. your own power but not but not exploiting it yes that's it and but yet at the same well, time philippians, that philippians the reading philippians reading they read a couple weeks ago right? yes god who though he was in for, the form of god did not count equality with god something to be grasped at or exploited and that's where we are uh, as as baptized as the nation the new nation of israel like are called to live this crazy thing out yes yes which leads us into the gospel of the Lord. That's what I hear. Matthew twenty two, thirty four to forty. Yeah, we had kind of an interesting thing happen this week. So we've been following Matthew twenty two pretty carefully. Directly, yeah, like one 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 reading one after, after the another. next. And now we've jumped. Yeah, because there was a big there was a big segment of there was a battle segment that we missed. Battle segment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it was. I read it earlier today. Oh, what what we skipped? Yeah. yeah. So the this the part we skipked was that that passage where the Sal, the Sadducees the Sadducees uh, challenged Jesus on the nature of the resurrection. So the Sadducees oh, remember because why are they so sad? You see, and why are they so sad? You see, and the Pharisees are just the, not fair. You see. Oh, and they because they the Sadducees they don't believe on it. and on and on. Oh. That's a that's a good that's a good description of them. Oh, that that was bad. That was <laughs> stupid. <laughs> oh, don't make a scene. Oh, a scene. Oh, a scene. Oh, that's a chapter from a Scott Hahn book. I ripped that off oh. pretty cleanly. Or maybe it's a tree. We're buffalo. Like we're we're buffaloes, not the Qumrams. Oh, that was that was. Uh, ooh, that <laughs> dude. You, this is the thing: is can you take it to the next level? Father Andrew Dickinson, right then, just was like, "That's not okay." Like <laughs> he just was like, "That wasn't funny at all." Oh, no. man. he tweets us every week. Father Mike, usually you, because yeah. you're because you're good and you're smart and you have brilliant insights. Thanks, you too. Oh, thanks. I mean, but you're not as good looking as me, so that's okay. Well, everyone thinks we're brothers because we look alike. No, we really do. Actually, I, 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 uh, we have. Went and had lunch together, and I uh, we got carded for for drinks at lunch, and it was the best. And uh, I I gave the the waiter uh, Scott's uh, license, and I said, "Oh, this is me." And but it didn't look like I said that. And he yeah. didn't laugh. No, it wasn't funny. It was funny, but he didn't laugh. Yeah, it's his fault, not yours. Okay, so this scribe, the, the okay, Pharisee, right. the Pharisee oh, so, jumps in, and it's like, okay, yeah. So we just talked. About, so what what we missed though is that Jesus talked. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, don't believe in the resurrection of the body. Yeah. Right. And so Jesus does this whole thing about divorce. So they were trying to trick him with divorce. And, okay, if there's all these brothers who married the same girl, then who's she going to be married to in heaven? Remember that whole thing? Yep. He's like, it doesn't matter. There will not marry be marriage in heaven. Okay, anyway, sorry. You, I know you want to move on. I just wanted to give context. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So the Pharisees heard about this. They're like, oh, shoot. Snap. He silenced the Sadducees. Yep. We thought that they could get him. Yep. And so the Pharisees are like, okay, fine. Let's do this. Because... Yep. The Pharisees, we have to be in context. The Pharisees, their whole project is applying 
all of the laws, all of the priestly laws specifically to everyone. Didn't they, didn't it, wasn't there an expectation though that everybody would try to actually follow these out? And if, if, if Israel was entirely faithful in all of the, the following of the priestly laws that the Messiah would come? Well, the principle is that, okay, we lost the covenant. Well, we lost the, the, the covenant status. We lost our land and our kingdom and our blessing because of unfaithfulness to Deuteronomy. So we don't know what else to do. The only way to get it back is maybe if we're perfectly faithful to Deuteronomy, we'll get it back, which, which is logical. But what they do, the Pharisaic laws are actually not biblical laws. Right. And that's the point that confuses They made up a bunch of other laws that you'd have to break before you could get even close to breaking the real actual laws of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Got it. So, so they take those principles. But they, So when Jesus says you put on, on the people a yoke that's too heavy even for yourselves to bear, they've made up. A, so when Jesus breaks the Pharisaic laws, he's not breaking biblical laws. He's breaking laws that they made up as this fence around the real laws. So you couldn't even get close to it. Which I so think, they made up their own. Yeah, which I think is absolutely critical for this question because they're yeah. exasperated. Like yeah. the Pharisees, basically, yeah. they brought all of their savvy arguments. They, the, the, them, the Herodians. They tried to get him with the coins, they, and he totally slammed them. The scribes are going through, and they, the scribes, they can't do it either. They're cray. They're cray. And then until finally, they say they're like, okay, finally, what's <laughs> the commandment of the, which commandment of the law is greatest? I mean, they're just. I could see them going in that z- direction. Yeah. Yes. I, I, here's how I read this. I think that's... It's one part real. of it. No, I think it's a huge part of it. But their question is not an unreasonable one because we've talked about this before on this podcast. Every good rabbi had what was called his yoke. Right? Yes. Y-O-K-E, yoke. So their yoke was their like one sentence. Not, not one... ha, 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 ha. No, uh, no. Nor like waka breakfast. Waka. Nor breakfast. Not your breakfast egg. Nor nor even the, <laughs> uh, nor even oxen. Well, but that's where we get the term for the oxen. I know. But oh, the... man. But the idea was, yeah, you'd have your summary statement of, there's 613 laws of the Old Testament. So there, the idea was the, so you know, there's the great famous story from Rabbi Hillel. You know this one? Yep. The Gentiles came Say up to again. Rabbi Hillel, but this group, Rabbi Hillel was a contemporary of Jesus. He was really famous rabbi. And as the, the story goes, a bunch of non-Jews came up to him and said, hey, rabbi, if you, we will, we will convert to Judaism if you can recite the whole law standing on one foot. And he stood on, he lifted his foot up and he said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He says, that's the whole law. The rest of it is just commentary. And he put his foot down. So every rabbi did that. They have like their summary of the law. And so... I think what these Pharisees, I think they are exasperated, and I think they're sick of this discussion. And I think what they're doing is, okay, what's his yoke? Then how is he actually, so if this guy, everyone's listening to him, he's got his thing, what's his agenda? How is he sort of spinning the whole law? Like, he's got his read, he's got his followers, he's got his whole thing, he's got his pedagogy. So if we find out what his yoke is, what his summary statement of the law is, we can see kind of where his focus is, and maybe we can find another avenue to kind of, trip him up and find out where where he's wrong. Where is he misreading this? Because, I mean, their, their, their assumption, I think, is that he's misreading the law. He doesn't get it. Yes. We get it. He doesn't get it. If we can find out what his summary statement is, then we'll find out oh, you're putting your emphasis on the wrong place. You don't understand. So I think that's why they're doing it. Yeah, and then But he, it's because they're exact. They're like, we don't know what else to do. Yes. So fine, you tell us. And then he goes into the Shema. Yeah. Well, he combines two different, two different uh, passages. 
So Deuteronomy 6, the Shema prayer. Okay. The Hero is here, right. Hero. <laughs> Shema. Uh, Shema Israel. Israel. Um, yeah, anyway. Hero Israel, the Lord is your God. The Lord is one. So therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Jesus adds with all your mind. That's actually not there in Deuteronomy 6. This is with all your strength. Which which is interesting because we've been actually talking about faith, hope, and love, and he actually does an inversion. He be- does. Because you shall love the Lord, the Lord your God, with all your heart, so love, yep. with all your soul, faith, mm. and with all your mind, hope. Ooh. So I was just seeing those, and nice. I was like, faith, hope, and love, just finding in those things, those are the three greatest theological virtues. Like I just was like, oh, that's really beautiful. Nice insight. Yeah, but that's not, you. that's, but I have a better one coming. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's not my insight yet. So he takes that and then he combines it with what? Leviticus 19, I believe it is. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Is it Leviticus 19? Is that right? Uh huh. Yeah. No, Leviticus, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, Leviticus 19, 18. Sorry. Yes. Good. Which gets me, okay. gets gets us to the insight that I want to share. Okay. And then I have a little thing. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two. That I think literally that, in Hebrew it says they hang. They hang. That's exactly where I wanted to oh. go, because th- this is the thing. It's, <laughs> it's it's so it's concrete language. Okay. Yeah. So love of God above all things and your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Everything hangs on this. Okay. First question: What hangs? I mean, a, a curtain. Ooh. A, a door. Oh. I think I see where you're going. And the Lord. Because it actually speaks of a perpetual hanging, so what happens is that by that word "hang," <gasps> you're you're like you, you we're going to a whole like literally we just got propelled into the fourth dimension. Because because not going, only, I think I not only I'm okay because because this is the thing is that the law and the, so so um in and on okay so you shall love the um the whole in the law and the prophets depend or they hang on these two things, um so the they are not only the law and the prophets are they immersed, like they are contained within love of God and of neighbor. But everything flows from love of God and from neighbor. So it's it's both the the place in the environment in which the law must exist because you take it outside. Because he's talking to the Pharisees. Yeah. Um, but then the word hang. What are we actually? This is the thing: is that we're t- we're speaking of some level of gateway, some sort of entrance. That's why I'm like, because law and the prophets, you can see it as a hinge. Those are two things. Very clear. I mean, uh, so it's like the whole in the law, for, the law and the prophets, they hang on love of God and love neighbor. So we're talking about an entrance, but the curtain, you have the curtain into the Holy of Holies, uh-huh. but then you also have the entrance into the covenantal people, into the temple. Okay. But this comes through Jesus Christ himself hanging on the cross. He uh-huh. is love of God and of neighbor. Oh. That is that is where and so wow. so so what ends up happening he's he's actually he's actually revealing his heart to them he says wow. because because Jesus is coming to f- entirely fulfill the law wow. so so that the new law can be established but why wow. Why? Because he says, I want you to be strangers and sojourners no longer, but members, fellow members of the household of God. He wants to draw all the nations in, but he wow. himself becomes, he himself becomes the foreigner. I mean, he well, is. Well, what what do we see in the, tra- I think the transfiguration gives even more insight to this, because what's the transfiguration? Remember in the, remember the transfiguration, Ooh, it says, yeah. Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. 
and he was transfigured with Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah? Because what Moses represent the law. The law. What does Elijah represent? Prophets. So the prophets. So Pope uh, Pope Benedict spoke about this in his book Jesus of Nazareth. Ma- Nazareth. But he says in that scene, you have the law and the prophets speaking to Jesus, and the law and the prophets speaking about Jesus. Remember what their topic of conversation was? The Jesus's Exodus. What is that? That is. It says his Exodus, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. Yeah, talk to me more about it. Well, what's what the Exodus is releasing that he's to accomplish at Jerusalem? I think they're speaking about his passion, his crucifixion. Yeah, absolutely, that is the Exodus that he performs. So you have the, mo- the 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 law and the prophets looking and summarized in Jesus, who hangs on the cross. Like you said, why does he hang on the cross? Because he's ex- he's he's exemplifying perfect love of God, right? The Garden yes. of Gethsemane, and not my will, but yours be done. And perfect love of neighbor, taking on the burdens and the sins of all humankind. On this relies, hangs, oh, man. On Yeah, and this, uh, that is what man, relies that's good. the law and the prophets. Ooh. And only if only from that do we actually have that's a sense of, of what the law and the prophets are actually trying to wow. accomplish. But, but without that, then the law just becomes a, a law unto itself, and the prophets become a, a burden to us. It's something too much to take. But take it even a step further, I think. Um. Uh, okay. Let me, sorry. Let me track with myself here. <laughs> okay. What did you just say? I had such a good insight. Oh man. Um, mm, oh yeah. Okay. So what are the law and the prophets saying? Well, uh, here's what the liturgy, here's what the Catholic church is trying to get us to see. The liturgy is saying, what, what is the law? Well, the law was that first thing that was given back in Exodus 22. That was the beginning of the law being given to us. The Torah. What does it say? Well, it says that God's going to care for the poor and the orphan, the widow and the stranger. Mm. Jesus becomes, as you just said, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger. How does God care for them? Well, how does he care for Jesus? Raises them up. Raises them from the dead. So if you humble yourself, if you allow yourself to be small... Not be a victim. There's a big difference. You know what I mean? Yes. Don't, totally. don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Don't be a victim, but to be small, to be humble, and to submit to what God wants from you, then how is he going to care for the victim, the widow, the orphan, all these things? He will raise you even from the dead. Yes. That's what the law and the prophets ultimately are pointing to. And that's yeah. what the first reading begins to unpack for us. Yeah. Ooh. That was a great insight. No, I mean, I when I when I looked at that oh. when I when I was like depend is such an abstract contrast. Oh, I knew it was hang, but I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't. You mean I you didn't just think don't of think the it, obvious? Hang is such a. It's such a like a concrete term. Yeah. And 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 I think it's even richer. I think that there are depths to that word that that we just don't even understand because I mean we enter the holy of holies. Yeah. We enter into the kingdom of God. We like. This is this is a hinge in which how we live, but then, yeah. but Jesus perpetually experiencing the cross, yeah. like like it, it's a permanent fixation because mm. the word hang it means it, it like a, it's it's like a perpetual, it continues into the future in yes. in ad infinitum. Yes, and so that that's where like we wow. The, in some ways, it even gives me insight into wow. um, why we have the crucifix at the center of our church. Wow. On this, like everything, all of history right. depends on this. All of it hangs on and this. The, and then this is actually, the, this is how we see typified, typified wow. in, in the, the strict sense of the term, typos, um, uh, standard. Okay. Um, 
that this is how we love God above all things in our neighbor as ourselves. Wow. Is that the, the we're we're willing and we make wow. ourselves available to wow. that and but the, but but to do that we do have to recognize that we ourselves are strangers we're we really are like and and so it, it it's like that meta it's the meta experience of when he's talking about the um the uh servant who's set free from the debt and then he goes and beats all of his the other people who owe right, him five exactly. bucks yeah, and yeah, yeah. he got relieved of thousands and and he goes beats them for five bucks it's right. it's it's you like don't the, get it's it. in that same spirit which is what israel essentially does i mean this is the first reading if you don't understand what i've done for you and you don't do it for one another then you obviously don't get it this is what that parable is about it's about israel being freed from slavery from oppression from alienship and then not Treating the stranger and the oppressed and the alien in their land, now that God gave them freely as yes. a totally free gift that they didn't deserve, to not do that is to be like that servant in the parable. Yeah. That's the story. Oh. Wow. Nice work, Father Peter. Hey, thank you. You too, man. This is good stuff. Teamwork. Mm. Teamwork. Dude, thanks, JP2, for the intercession today. Absolutely. Make us love. He, he, you know what I take great solace that he listens to our podcast. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. <laughs> that, that gives me great guilt and uncomfortableness. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's, yeah, him, it's, him and St. Gregory, St. Peter, he listens in. Oh, man, St. Jerome. Oh, geez. Jerome, all these cats oh, are listening. They're all shaking their they're, heads. They're like, like, they're oh, like, what is wrong with you guys? guys? Stop singing. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Enough with the singing, Enough bros. Enough with the singing already. Oh. All right, everybody. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. Have a good week. Have a great um, feast of those 11 martyrs. And uh, don't fake the phone. No, never. Okay, bye, everybody. Okay, bye. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Send us an email. Oh, yeah. And find us on Facebook and uh, whatever oh, yeah. social we have, networking. We have, we have to figure out how to, like, Pinterest. We, we, like, I keep getting up emails for, for it. But <laughs> we signed up for the account, but I have no I have it, it. They just told me this morning all the Halloween costumes I could be inspired by. <laughs> so we'll figure out that. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, be in touch, you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado www.thomascenter.org You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org See you next week.